Hey, alright! And welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation that started in 2016, and it's a conversation that continues this week with my guest, Sam Belansky of Pony. Pony put out one of my favorite records of 2023, and Sam is on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to all who are subscribing to the show on your podcast player of choice. I'd like to invite you to visit our website, betteryetpod.com, and check out our YouTube page, youtube.com slash at betteryetpod. How are we doing today? I'm drinking that Dagger Mountain coffee, daggermountain.com. Follow them on Instagram at daggermtncoffee, my favorite coffee roaster in the U.S. of A., Right here in Valparaiso, Indiana. Been drinking their Caribe from Costa Rica. Lovely coffee with notes of vanilla, coconut, and plum. Pick yourself up a bag at DaggerMountain.com. Let me take a moment here to plug my latest web development project, Riffin. Riffin Riffin.io. Riffin is a guitar tablature sketch pad built by yours truly, along with a small development team of amateur guitar players who grew up using websites like Ultimate Guitar and 911tabs.com to learn how to play our favorite songs on guitar and bass. We built Riffin with a little bit more focus on the editor. Our custom-built editor is sharp and intuitive. It's a great way to write out your song ideas and store them safely and securely with our AWS serverless backend. Check it out. Riffin.io. A reminder to you all that I'm a full stack developer for hire, betteryetpodcast at gmail.com or tim at betteryetpod.com to get in touch about web development, interview inquiries, podcast editing. Want me to make your podcast sound good like this? Or you can just say hello, tim at betteryetpod.com. How are we doing, Bubba's? Happy to be here. Sam Bolansky of pony is on the show we're here on a bi-weekly release schedule now that i started a new job things are good over there been listening to a lot of the too much tv podcast at work that's a podcast hosted by sam and pretty maddie sam and maddie playing each other's bands and there's also a new pretty maddie record that came out last week called heavenly sweetheart that's so good A big fan, too, of the new Home is Where record that came out last week. The Whaler record they made with Jack Shirley. Really impressed by that. I've also been listening to this band from the Bay called April Magazine. Their new record, Wesley's Convertible Tape for the South, is on Bandcamp and has been in heavy rotation here at Better Yet HQ. Sure do love music. My guess this week... It's Sam Belansky of the wonderful Pony. Pony is a band Sam started while living in Toronto. They released their second LP, Velveteen, in May. This is a pitch-perfect power pop record. Ten songs of sugary melodies, hooks, and harmonies for days. It's one of the best-sounding records I've heard in years. Guitars sound so perfect. There's great vocal layering. I've just been over the moon for this record it reminds me so much of a band like that dog or the josie and the pussycat soundtrack both 
paramount influences for Sam and Pony, both topics of discussion in this lovely interview. And like I mentioned, I've become a fan of the Too Much TV podcast hosted by Sam and Maddie. So I was really looking forward to this interview and we had fun. And I hope you do too. Thank you for listening to Better Yet. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating. And we'll see you here again in two weeks. For now, here's me and Sam Polanski. Um, so I was listening to the Too Much TV podcast and mm -hmm. Maddie was searching for a name and we're doing a cold open because there's no way that I could just insert this into your interview that I have right now for you. But Understood. Maddie's searching for a name and they go, Seth, and you say Romatelli. And yes. I said, oh my God. Seven years of doing this podcast, I've not had a chance to talk about uh, yet, dude, until now. Oh, well, you know, Maddie is Maddie is the real uh, yeah, dude aficionado. Like I I just pick up on the crumbs sometimes when we're in the van <laughs> or in the kitchen. But Maddie has been a disciple of uh, yeah, dude for like probably like 15 years or something. Yeah. Dude, same. It is uh it is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. It's like my favorite podcast, bar none. I think it might be the best podcast. Like yeah, just truly. The, the chemistry those two have together is just unparalleled. Yeah. I've never been able to sell anybody on it because I'm just like, it's just these two dudes, they're in LA. Um, they're just really funny. They're just yeah. so perfect together so perfect together and their love for one another is so refreshing it's like it's like a true bromance and um and i really i think that if i found out that either one of those two guys was a piece of shit i would probably just pack it in you know it would wreck me it would wreck yeah. me people talk about like oh man like if it turns out that like tom hanks is the worst like i don't know what i do if if Seth or Jonathan, that would kill me. That would. Absolutely. We have to protect them at all costs <laughs> by giving them $5 a month. Truly. Um, I remember I saw them in Chicago and it was right after I got sober and Seth and Jonathan just like came around the corner. It was after the show and they were going back in to do their signing. And they just like I caught Jonathan because you can't miss him. And then mm -hmm. Seth just like pointed at me. He's like, this guy needs a hug. And I was like, you have no idea. And he just oh, my God. It was very special. That is so special and so kind and beautiful. Yeah, truly. I have to say, now I don't, I, I love you idea. I don't listen to a lot of other podcasts, but I am legitimately, I've become such a big fan of Too Much tv in the past couple oh, of weeks come on i mean it <laughs> that's so nice it's legit like one of my favorite podcasts that i've heard it's so much <laughs> fun thank you so much it's truly a blessing to be able to do a podcast with maddie they are they're just always making me laugh you two just have such a great chemistry together much <laughs> like seth and jonathan 
You would think that by now Maddie and I would have run out of things to talk about since we're together 24-7, but it uh-huh. just like we we don't. We just both we're just two <laughs> chatterboxes. <laughs> it's nice too because I think like I think one of the great one of the things that like came out of the pandemic was that like every couple sort of like became a real comedy team. So mm-hmm. it's I I you know, me and my partner, we make each other laugh because we're the funniest people ever. But totally. hearing y'all do it, it's like you're doing it for us, for all of us out there. Wow, that's really beautiful. And we're happy to. We're happy to. Congratulations on 100 episodes of the Too Much TV podcast. That is a milestone. Thank you. I and- was. I didn't know that we would get there, to be honest, because we did fall off for... For a bit, once uh, everything kind of resumed back to regular degular style, but it felt nice to finally make it to 100. So you're in Toronto. Did you grow up there? We're at, we actually live in Windsor now, which is the oh, Canadian okay. city that borders Detroit. Okay. But I actually grew up in northern Ontario, which is about four hours north of Toronto. Okay. Where um, was that? In like a... Sudbury, which was a small mining town. Okay. I, ma- I make it sound like it's like... Uh, Sounds cool. Like in the past, like it's an old-timey place, but uh, it's yeah. all right. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I think there's not a lot to do there, so a lot of people become quite creative and have to try, try and find like creative outlets, so it was kind of nice. Yeah. Are your folks still there? Yeah, they're in the area for sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> They moved like it's like not very interesting. They moved like uh-huh. two hours, like in some direction. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really. Know. Was there was there music in the house when you were growing up? Um, not really a lot. Like my my mom had some pretty cool records that I used to remember, like looking at, and like we never listened to them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would like take them out and I would use that like brush and like clean them. But I had no <laughs> idea like what I was doing. I was just like, this is this is a cool feeling. Yeah. Um but I I did a lot of musical theater growing up. So that was kind of like my biggest uh musical influence as an adolescent was doing a lot of musicals. Yeah. What when did you get started with that? I started doing musicals when I was like five or six. Whoa. Yeah. I was like, uh, it was like my thing. It was my thing. And then I went, that's why I moved to Toronto was to pursue that in a professional way. I went to college for musicals, which I think a lot of people don't know you can do. And I actually don't really recommend it because it's not a very sustainable career path. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, just I, I, I was quickly humbled by the industry, um, <laughs> but I still wanted to be creative and, and pursue some sort of endeavor. And that's when I kind of started writing my own songs. Oh, OK. So like even high school, you're focused on musical theater. There's no guitar music that comes in. Yeah, like not too much. Like my brother, he was always, he's 14 years older than me and he was always in bands growing up. Uh Um, So he was always giving me like cool CDs. Like he gave me um, Dookie 
on CD and I was like, oh, this is the coolest. And mm-hmm. I was listening to like a lot of like Guns N' Roses <laughs> and like I just like the typical stuff that I think like kids listen to when they're like, I'm not listening to the radio anymore. You know, like I'm going to listen yeah. to Nirvana and I'm going to listen to Green Day. And then Green Day puts out this record that is like pretty much a musical. And I'm like, cool. Like, oh, hell my yeah. Two, my two worlds are colliding here. And yeah, so it was kind of like a little. And then, you know, the whole pop punk, like my chemical romance, so theatrical. Um, totally. Emotional music became now, like pretty popular. Is the term theater kid also a thing in Canada? That's to- totally. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're. Are you a self-proclaimed theater kid or were you kind of like... For sure I was, yeah. yeah. Like, I was like such a nerd about it and like I had to know like every musical. I had to know every musical that was coming out that year. I had to watch the Tony Awards like as they were airing. Like I was like a nerd <laughs> about it. Truly unhinged and like probably so annoying. It's competitive though, right? Super competitive. Super competitive. And like... You have to have skills. Like, you can't just have a dream. You have to be good at dancing. You have to be good at singing. You have to be an incredible actor. And when I was in school for theater, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I'd been doing theater since I was five years old. And I was Mm -hmm. in class with these kids who could, like, pick up music and just sight read it and sing the song. like that they've never heard before. And I was like, oh, these kids are machines. Like, I don't stand a chance. Uh huh. But you were five. Like you're getting, or were you? So when you're five years old and you're in theater, are you in with other five year olds, or are you playing like the like youngest kid child. in Peter Pan? Yeah. Yeah. Like I would be playing like the youngest Von Trapp child in The Sound of Music, or uh huh, uh-huh. or you know, like an orphan in in Annie or something like that. Hmm. So you went to so you went to college for for theater. Did you want to like be a stage actor? Or did you want to like transition into TV? Did you want I to be always, on Degrassi, like every Canadian kid's dream? I you know I never thought about television at all, like as uh-huh. an option. I was like, I'm gonna be on Broadway. Like I'm gonna be a huge star. Yeah, on Broadway. That was like my delusion. Um. And in school, like, we didn't really, it was very, like, theater theater focused. Like, we didn't really take film classes or or any, they they were priming us for the stage, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, the, like, flourishing <laughs> economy that is the stage. I mean, you, you're in a guitar rock band now, so, like. I know, right? Not, like, I love to just vocals. make things so hard for myself. <laughs> so. How did you then, How I guess, like, when did you get into guitar music? Do you remember when it became, you talked about, like, I want to write my own songs. Yeah, so I guess, like, I had been writing songs. My boyfriend in high school, he bought me an acoustic guitar, and he was, like, really convinced that I was going to be, um, like, the folk songstress of our generation. Like, he uh-huh. really wanted me to be, like, like just like a real folkster. And yeah, so I yeah, just, like uh, you, 
working like playing in the coffee shops. I'm yeah, with a big hat on. on or, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> like it's <Yeah>. 1964. <laughs> You're inside of Davis. Yeah, and so he ended up cheating on me when I was when we were dating, and I took the guitar he bought me, the acoustic guitar he bought me, and I smashed it. And I was like screaming and I was in like, I was so angsty and I was like, I hate you. And I smashed the guitar to smithereens and like was like, oh, damn, this is so stupid because this I, I liked this thing. I like this was like a thing I liked and now it's smashed. And then I saved up all my money to buy a new guitar. And instead of buying another acoustic, I was like, I'm going to buy an electric guitar and be Mm -hmm. like an electric guitar girly and that was like kind of the turning point for me where I was like I'm not I'm not even gonna mess around with folk songs anymore I'm gonna write rock songs yeah at least you could stick that part to him Mm -hmm. like I'm gonna write rock songs now so were you like okay cool now I'm gonna learn or was it were you were you moved on from green day Yeah, I guess like I don't even really I didn't spend too much time learning other people's songs, to be honest. I was very much like I have this tool and I have so many emotions that I'm just going to write my own songs. Yeah. Many of which in the beginning days had the same three chords, many of which still do, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess was was Pony like your that's your this has been your songwriting project since day one. Yeah, pretty much. I've never really been in like another band. It's my first band. Yeah. And when, now when I go back and I listen to, um, oh my God, I'm at, so I use a windows computer at work now and the mouse scroll thing is different. And I'm like on my home computer, I'm like work. trying to look at my note (laughs) but like listening back to stuff like crushed i hear like early best coast am i am i close so close like best coast when i when i became aware of best coast i was like oh that was like a huge turning point for me because I was like oh my god I can do this like this is attainable I can write songs like this or like like she was so um just like so kind of vulnerable but like not trying to be like ultra profound Mm -hmm. and I thought that that was the coolest just the coolest I thought she was the coolest ever and so yeah, definitely like a huge, huge, huge influence. Like Best Coast and this band called Bleached. That oh, hell I yeah, I remember that band. Yeah, they played like three nights in a row in Toronto when I had like just started writing music and I went to see them every night. Like I went to see them three nights in a row and I just remember standing like in the crowd, like watching them being like, this is the coolest thing I've ever they're so cool and they looked so cool and their songs were so cool and then I went home and I was like I'm gonna try and learn these bleach songs and then I was like oh cool I'm gonna write some songs too hell yeah and those are all like three chord songs and you just got such great there's such a great pedal set up where yeah 
And it's just like these two sisters and like they're singing together and it's just like, it was like magic. I was like, like, wow, music is like, can be magic. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Also, I caught when you made a little adjustment there, you're wearing a WWE t-shirt and you're in good company on this show wearing a WWE (laughs) t-shirt. I have so many WWE (laughs) t-shirts, like especially. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's a, that looks like a Royal Rumble. Oh my it's God. A, it's all of these guys. Hell I have a yeah. couple of these. Um, I just, I don't watch too much wrestling. I watch some, some wrestling with my neighbor, Joe, but I just love, I don't know what it is about. I think it is maybe because it's so theatrical too, but I just love John Cena. I think like, I'm he's like, when I see him, he's such a good man, you know? Can you see him From on what? the wall there? He's right underneath Aretha <gasps> Franklin. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, he's so. I'm cool. gonna be up in Toronto for SummerSlam. You'll be right across the the river. You should come over and hang out. It's in the big stadium. You could probably get like a twenty dollar ticket. It's in Toronto. No, it's in Detroit. Oh, in Detroit. Oh, yeah. cool. When is that? It's in summer. I think it's oh, August fourth. <laughs> yeah, I'll be up there. Oh my god, cool. I'm excited. I've never be so been to fun. Detroit. Do you hang out in Detroit a lot? We go to Detroit. We go to Detroit. It is so cool. Yeah. It is the best. We love going there. We love playing there. Every time we play in Detroit, people people want to like pay more for our merch than it's listed. Every time. And I'm like, guys, why you got to be so nice to me? <laughs> like, what's the deal? That's some solidarity. That's some like, we know what it's like for you Canadians. Absolutely. It's so it's it's just like so cool there. And we're so close to Detroit. I think it takes us like five minutes from our house to get across the border. Mm -hmm. And it's like a night and day difference. Like as soon as you're in Detroit, you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, there's like cool people here and like culture and like, yeah, it's just like a cool spot. There's cool stuff. Oh, that's awesome. So when you're starting Pony Up in, in Toronto, you just you're finding people. I noticed like looking through the band camp, the lineup is kind of different with each ever release. changing. Yes. Yes, totally. I think that it's like it's super hard to find people who like you can convince to like believe in your dream or like believe in your passion project Mm -hmm. and like life gets so tricky sometimes you can't expect like everyone to be like yeah sure i'll i'll not go to work for two weeks and sleep in a tent and go on tour and like not shower (laughs) and like i I used to think that that it was so unreasonable that people didn't have the exact same dream as me um (laughs) and i like looking back i'm like oh yeah like i was i was the villain like i was the villain (laughs) (laughs) Um, because it is, it is unreasonable for me to assume that everybody wants to be like in a struggling rock band for the rest of their life. Yeah. And I think, I feel like that there's some of that, that theater energy that you put into like this project and like the way that you're pushing it, at least in the way that you're describing it. Totally, totally. And then it wasn't until I met Maddie and Maddie was like, I want to do it. Like we want it. We both like we're like we wanted it in the same way and we didn't care like how bad it possibly could be sometimes like mm-hmm. not not bad, but just uncomfortable sometimes. And like you really like 
have to make a lot of sacrifices in order to pursue your dreams, I think. Yeah. Depending on what they are, I suppose. I'd say do you is like more recognizably pony listening back. Totally. Like when I hear that, I'm like, cool. That's when I start to hear that dog. Totally. Like that, that was the first time where I was like writing all the songs myself. Like it was definitely more like of a collaborative thing on our first um, release. And there sometimes can just be too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was feeling like for, for some time I, I was feeling like in my own project, I was like, I, I can't even say what I want to say or I can't have things the way that I envision them because I know that it will be too much of a struggle or like it'll be a fight. There'll be a fight that mm -hmm. it will occur. So I largely was just like on autopilot for those like earlier releases. And it really, really wasn't until Maddie joined the band in 2018 that I was like, this is my vision. And they were like, okay, like, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Yeah. So how did that, how did that come to be? How did Maddie join the band? Maddie joined the band because we, well, my bass player quit the band. Um, and Maddie was like, oh, I'll fill in. I'll fill in on bass. And I was like, oh, great, cool, amazing. And we had some studio time booked. And like day one in the studio, our guitar player quit. Oh, my goodness. Which was truly a blessing because they were playing some some stuff that we were like, this not working. Um, and then so our guitar player quit day one in the studio, left. And then Maddie was like, I, I guess I'll just write these parts like and so we're writing these parts in the studio and they were better than anything I had like ever. It was like, yeah. just like, it was like a moment where I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is my person. Like this is my collaborator. And like, I don't even have to say like, I want the part to sound like this or whatever. It's like, we were just so aligned creatively. Mm -hmm. And it was just ever since then, it was just like Maddie and I together working on the songs. What record was this for? That was for um, TV Baby. Oh, okay. And that yeah. didn't come out. That didn't come out until like 2021. So that's quite a long time. That seems like a bit of a nightmare recording. Oh yeah, it was definitely a nightmare. We recorded. I think we recorded that originally in 2018, and then we spent a full year with mixes that I like that plagued me. I hated them. They sounded mm. horrible. We got them mixed by like several different people. It was just sounding like not how I had hoped. And then Maddie was like, okay, well let's just go back into the studio and do just redo it. And I was like, oh, I don't know that I have it in me. Like we spent a year just like hating these songs. And then, yeah, totally. <laughs> You know, like I was like, I don't mm -hmm. want to try and fix them. Like I thought they were just bad songs. And then Maddie was very persistent and we went back into the studio with a different engineer and we recorded new new parts and we did like overdubs and we redid some vocals and added some more stuff and then had them remixed by that person. And I was like, oh my God, like that 
it broke my brain because I was like, oh, you can like actually achieve what you want when you yeah. uh, are like able to articulate it or like just like able to say like, no, I don't want it to sound like this. I want it to sound like that or or whatnot. Stand up for yourself a little bit. Absolutely, which was something I was really, really, really not good at doing for a long time. Yeah, I love that record. Yeah, it's really, I, I really love it too. I love that song, WebMD. It's the most relatable shit in the world. Don't WebMD your symptoms, but that's... It's we like, all do it. We all do it. Yep. And if you're prone to being depressed, it's like, yeah, let me latch on to like literally every terrible thing that's in here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm not I am no longer allowed to Google my symptoms. Um, <laughs> but I think that that's for the best. I had to I got a job recently and I got the offer and then they were like, you got to take a drug test. And I was like. Oh, no. So I was like Googling, like, what happens if you don't pass your drug test? And then I was just like, ah, no. oh, my God, God. that they make you take a drug test. Is that regular? No, I live in Indiana. They're a little oh. behind the times. But do you live in Bloomington? No, I live in Valparaiso. So I'm oh. pretty close to Chicago. That's oh, I see, why I see. We, we were in Chicago and then like. Rather than start a project when the pandemic came, we decided to move to Indiana. But it's yeah, nice. Like, we have a nice backyard for our doggies. That's kind of what Maddie and I did, too, is like mid-pandemic, we're like, we should just move out of the city. It was getting kind of like nuts. And then yeah. we thought, you know, let's just move to the cheapest possible place. And Windsor's working out. It's all right. You know, you have Detroit right over there and half the band lives in uh, New York. So they just fly into Detroit super cheap and then we pick them up at the airport and it's lovely. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. An influence that I've heard you mention that is also was very apparent to me um, listening to both uh, Velveteen and TV Baby is the Josie and the Pussycat soundtrack, which I think is one of the best soundtracks of all time. It's 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 just like legitimately a masterpiece. Truly, it's so cool. That movie is so good too, and I don't think it gets its due. No, I think that I truly sound like a psychopath when I say this, but I do believe that that movie was ahead of its time. And people just like weren't ready for like the satire and social commentary that it was that it was making. So it, on point. It's so good. And like I think it really holds up. Like I watch it all the time still. And Yeah, we've been wanting to watch it for a little bit of time now. Cause I mean Parker Posey, bless. Ugh. Alan Cumming, bless. Oh my and god. Then and then you have Rachel Lee Cook who is looking the hotter than anybody who's ever existed. Rosaria so Dawson cool. also looking hotter than anyone who's ever existed. Absolutely. Tara Reed, you have Eugene Levy is in it for some reason. Like it's just like <laughs> of course he, is. he was so, hot. <laughs> yeah, he was so hot at that moment. It's just so it's so cool. We we did a 
an interview a while ago and the guy who's interviewing us was in the scene like at the end of oh no way in the crowd the movie yeah like cuz he i think it was filmed in Vancouver and so mm-hmm. he was like in that scene and like was telling us about it and i was like you don't even understand like how that that's like my favorite movie and like one of my favorite records of all time and i was like you you don't know how lucky you are dude also like some fucking incredible songwriters like came in on that record schlesinger's totally. on there i know rest in peace Truly. and uh anna from that dog mm-hmm. just like so cool Kay hanley singing like that to me that movie was like the biggest i think the biggest influence obviously you can tell like in hearing the records that i make but but it's like I think because I wasn't listening to a lot of guitar music as a kid because of the musicals, mm-hmm. seeing these women in this movie making their own music was like something I could aspire to. Yeah. It's you are cool. like you are like forever teenager. Is that fair to say? I feel like I you have that I've energy. Tried and I mean be. that in a good way. I mean that in a very good way. Yeah, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta stay fresh. You gotta stay fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I do know that you're doing, you are doing some voice acting work now. Your your acting career is not exactly dead. You've got that's true. A role on My Little Pony. Yes, you're playing jazz. Jazz hooves. She's cool. She's, yeah, tell me about Jazz. Tell me about the character. Oh my God, she uh, Jazz Hooves is so. She reminds me so much of myself. You know, she she is a beautician. She mm-hmm. works at a salon. She loves to sing, but she does doubt herself a lot. Um, and she she's afraid sometimes of new experiences. So she's a little hesitant to do. She's a little hesitant to do things she's never done before. But with the help of her friends, she always, you know, finds a way to make it work. She doesn't get a lot of airtime, which is fine. <laughs> but it's a blessing. I love I love being a part of that show cuz I I just think it's uh it's a cool show. It's a cool franchise. Yeah, you're like a part of a legacy. It's pretty nuts because uh, you just have people who are already fans. Like, they're just fans from the jump. And, like, people who who want to just draw pictures of you and, and send them to you. And it's just cool. Like, I, I, it doesn't happen that often for me because jazz is, like, a little underrated. But when it does, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Like, someone just drew me today. Mm-hmm. Like, drew my pony. Had you been, like, pursuing voice acting no not really i so when i was in school we like didn't even talk about voice acting i didn't even know that voice acting was a thing or an option um and then after i graduated i i had this this woman approach me uh, and she was like oh i love the sound of your voice like my friend is casting this show would you like to audition for the show and i was like oh sure and it was like 
it was like a children's educational program called Doki. And mm-hmm. I'd never heard of it and I've never seen it. But I got the part and I was a few reoccurring roles on the show. And, and for a while I was like, damn, like I'm a working actor. This is so cool. And then I didn't work for like probably like five to seven years after yeah. the show ended. And it was partially because I was like trying to do the band really heavily. Mm-hmm. And then when the pandemic truly hit, we were all locked down. My agent was like, hey, like now that you're not touring and we're all stuck at home, like there's a lot of of stuff I can submit you for because animation was one of the only things that could still be produced during lockdown because no one had to be in the same room. She's like, I'm getting a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, like absolutely submit me. And she submitted me for this show that was like about fairies. And I was like, I could kill this. I'll get it like for sure. And then it was a decoy script and it was actually the My Little Pony script. Oh. And I didn't book it and I was devastated. And I was like, oh my God, like that would have been perfect for that show. And then another audition for the show came through and I auditioned and I didn't get it. And then another audition for the show came through and I auditioned and I didn't get it. And then like weeks passed and she just calls me one day and she goes, do you want to play the role of Jazz Hooves? Amazing. And I was like, ah, I do. And then, yeah, and then the rest is just kind of history. She sent me the first script and I had one line and I was like, you know what? I will take it. (laughs) And you just record that from home. You don't have to go into the studio or anything like that. No, sometimes I'll go in if I'm doing like several episodes at once or if um, they need me to sing. I'll go into the studio in Toronto, but for the most part, yeah, I can record everything from home, which is such a blessing. So the Too Much TV podcast, like so many great podcasts, starts as a pandemic project with you and Maddie. Talk to me about starting the podcast. Yeah, so Maddie and I had been wanting to do a podcast for a while, um, and I was a guest on another podcast podcast it was a podcast that this music supervisor from Toronto was doing and he had asked me a question while I was on the podcast if I ever sat down and wrote music while I watched tv like as if to be like underscoring the television show or like Mm -hmm. something like that and I was like oh that's like super interesting but no I've I've never done anything like that and then this idea came to me where I was like, Maddie, what if we did a podcast where we we write a song using these television episodes as prompts? And it was just kind of, we, we just kind of started it up. And then we were so dedicated to it for so long and wrote so many songs and never missed a week. And we're like, it was like, kind of felt like our purpose for a while was to be doing this podcast and we were getting a lot of feedback from people saying like oh you know like I listened to the podcast and like it it really inspired me to write a song this week or like oh Oh, I love the way it like demystifies the songwriting process like you don't have to be so precious or profound when writing a song like you could truly just write for the sake of writing or write for fun or write 
something that really super sucks. Um, and it really felt like such a valuable, valuable use of our time during the pandemic. And then, you know, things kind of went back to normal. And now the idea of writing one song every week seems like impossible. Mm-hmm. But we still, you know, like we're still writing all the time and and it's just less uh, we're just less strict about it, I guess. I love listening to the songs that you write, especially because it's always like <laughs> Maddie's always like, my song sucks. It's bad. <laughs> and then you listen to it and it's like, oh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the roller coaster of emotions that we would go through in one week every Mm -hmm. week because we were always writing a song and then also always sharing it like it wasn't like we were writing a song and no one was going to hear it it was like we're writing this song and you're going to hear it and also like the people who listen to the podcast are going to hear it so there was like this added pressure but I think that it was so valuable and it really turned us into like kind of like songwriting pros I would say it has to be nice to to kind of escape from like culling from the past experiences. Yeah. You know, like let me let me go back to like all of my bad relationships so that I can write songs. Totally. Totally. And that was something that when I was living in Toronto, I would have one day off every week. And so I was like I have to try and write on this one day. And if I don't, then I'm not, I'm not like a serious songwriter. I'm not like a true musician. And so I always knew that like one day every week I would like be in a a hurt or bad or upset mood because I would have to like dig through my baggage and like dig through my trauma to like feel something and evoke an emotion that was strong enough to like write about. And it was like, it made me like dread my day off. Yeah, because for I was real. Like, I'm gonna have to like up- hurt my own feelings today. Right. I'm just gonna get a migraine at 10 a.m. Yeah. So it was the the process because I think like when you're a writer of any kind or like a creator of any kind, even if you're drawing inspiration from something else, there's still gonna be like so many pieces of you in that art because it's like even like Maddie and I you know we would both watch the same episode of television and then write completely different songs like Mm -hmm. never was was there a week where like we even wrote songs that sounded remotely similar to each other or like we're even about the same thing a lot of the time so it's just like there's always going to be a piece of you in whatever you make you don't have to necessarily wreck your emotions just to make something worthwhile yeah and oh just like listening to the two of you because you just have such fun personalities and like your personalities shine so much in the songs that you write for the podcast and the music that you put out in your bands sorry there's no no question there i just no but that's so nice to (laughs) that's so nice (laughs) um did you were you I guess were you in you 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 talk about this experience of like having a day off and like putting all this pressure on yourself. What about the fact that you like you were a band for like seven, eight years before you finished your first LP after and that long process too of finishing TV baby? Like I would imagine yeah. that you were so spent 
by the end of that, you were thinking, I'm never going to write another Pony song again. There definitely was like a huge chunk of time where I I was like, um, I felt like allergic to songwriting <laughs> yeah. or just like being like the, the, the reason why, you know, it took us so long to put out our first LP was because of like people leaving the band and like there never being like a core lineup and like living in Toronto, you can't just like be a musician. You have to have like three jobs. So it's like mm. the, the moments where you can write are so, so sparse and, um, and yeah, like I really felt like, like maybe I won't write another record or like maybe I'm, I'm done writing pony songs and then you know we decided that that was not going to be the case and now we're back and better than ever and we I love writing songs like writing songs is truly my passion yeah so oh that's so great to hear did any of the songs I kind of know this is the I know the answer to this question because you've said it on the podcast but did any of these songs from the podcast make it make their way to Velveteen they did some of them we changed them quite a bit Mm -hmm. Um, some of them really changed some of them only mildly changed but uh, there were just some of the songs that we wrote for the podcast that I was like, these are too catchy or like this part is just too good to just let it live and die on the podcast. Yeah. Like we, it has to see the light of day. And um, yeah, like I don't know. Like some of them are my, some of my favorite songs on the record. Like Who's Callin' was a song that I wrote about an episode of Gilmore Girls. <sighs> Hell yes. And when I showed Maddie the song for the first time, Maddie was like, I think this is what New Pony is going to sound like. Like Maddie was like, I think mm-hmm. you've like, you've come into an aesthetic or like uh, you've come into like sonically where you need to be for, for working on the next record. And I was like, okay, wow, cool. Like that's like, such great feedback because sometimes you write a song for the podcast and it just sounds like uh, a clown clown music yeah or circus music mm-hmm. <laughs> what was the episode of of gilmore gilmore girls because i'm gonna get raked if i don't ask specifically it was the this episode where they're doing a dance-a-thon uh-huh. and lane and adam brody are like flirting Mm. and like he's calling her and she's calling him. And like, then he like shows up and he tells her mom, he's like, listen, I have a crush on your daughter. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And like, Oh my God, that feedback too. I'm like still absorbing it. Like it's kind of, no, no, you're never really that lucky to have somebody there. That's like, no, like this is the one. Cause you're, you're not going to give yourself that kind of, credit oh totally like i i'm so so fortunate to have maddie like as a primary collaborator because like i value them so much i value what they do so much that when they say yo this goes or like this rocks or like this is good i i believe it and i never sometimes i question it um but that's just you know your own brain poisoning Mm -hmm. But I do. I am so lucky to have to have someone 
who I admire so much want to work on songs with me. You made Velveteen with the great Alex Gamble, who's oh. done work. You know Alex? Well, I, I know I know what his music, what his mixing board produces. Always fucked up, pop. This record, dude, sounds so good. Like, he... He is a next level. Like he is next level. Like I've never I've never worked with someone who was so wonderful before. He was like every time we played a song back, he was like standing up and dancing or like it it was just like such a an encouraging uh, environment which was completely different from any other recording uh process I had been a part of before and we like we were all so efficient and we had our shit really together that it gave us a lot of time to experiment and try things and like every he was like no idea is a bad idea if ever anyone had an idea we tried it out we saw it through and then like as a little collective decided if it worked or didn't and we were always like aligned and he is a machine like he he like I don't know. He's a wizard. I don't, I like can't even describe how he works because he'd be like, at, we would be like listening to a song and he'd be like editing the back half of the song while we're like listening to it. So by the time we got to like the back oh half God. of the song, yeah. it would be like perfect. It was, it was insane. Like he's so cool. He's so kind. Oh, he's amazing. It's, it's pretty like, it's enlightening. I think for anyone who wants to see the difference, I think with the right producer can make like to go back and listen to even tv baby which i think sounds great too but like velveteen is just clearly like the way your band was meant to sound it's the music that was Mm -hmm. in your head the music that you and maddie came up with together it's just there listening to the mixes that he sent us the first round of mixes he sent, I like cried. I bawled my eyes out because I was like, Maddie, like this is what I never even thought we could sound this good. Like, like it just like felt like the songs had like ascended to like this next level. And it felt really nice. We're really proud of the record. I love all the vocal harmonies on this thing. Like, peach sucker punch all those layers just kill me yeah it's i think i i learned that writing vocal parts is my favorite thing to do and on this record we really like we really played our strengths where like typically i would play guitar on on the record and then maddie would play guitar but like maddie is just so much better at guitar than me and so maddie like really took the reins it was like i'm gonna i'm gonna play most of the guitar on the record and it allowed me to have time and ability to be like okay like what vocal parts do i want because i want there to be so many so i just had all this time to write like part after part after part and we just stacked them up and oh that has to be so fun too when you're like listening to mixes you're in that like creative space and then you're just able to like also like find a part along with you know you're able to sing along in like different ways totally and like we would be in the in the studio and maddie would be tracking guitar or bass 
And like, I would just be like sitting on the couch in the studio with my eyes closed, like humming mm-hmm. a part. And then I'd be like, yo, like I have this part. Can I go in? And like the vocal booth was set up. So anytime I had a vocal idea, I could just be like, yo, can we just like pause what we're doing so I can like run in real quick and like try it out. And it was just like uh, a really cool way to work because I never felt nervous or like scared to try anything. And if it sucked, we just scrapped it and tried something else. Yeah. And it was cool. Very efficient and a cool way to work. Dude, efficiency is like it's the best. It's so <laughs> rewarding too. Yeah. I was listening to have you heard the Hayden Triplets record? No. It's a country record with Petra and Rachel from that dog and <gasps> their other twin sister. Others. Oh my god. <laughs> and it's singing like very traditional like folk and gospel songs. The harmonies are just fucking unreal. They are like the blueprint for harmonies. Yeah. Like it's unreal. Like I'm going to listen to that. I I feel like that would really be my shit. Dude, I I fucking love that dog. I feel like they like suddenly people forgot about him. I don't know what it what it was. Dude, I thought like most I think most people just think the things that they love are like the most popular things on earth, but like <laughs> yeah. I like I was shocked to find out that they were not like the biggest band on earth. Yeah, totally. Because to me they are. Yeah. Like to me I'm like that's like I would be starstruck if I ever met Anna, you know, because I just think that she's like such an incredible songwriter and we like never really get compared to them. Mm-hmm. And I think it is because people don't remember them yeah. somehow. Makes well, I'm very thankful Shocks for me. my friends because I was I sent it to the group chats and I was like, "Yo, this band sounds like that dog." And everybody was fucking stoked. And like, shout out to the homie friend of the show and soon to be your tour mate, Evan Bernard of Provide, texted me oh. the day that uh, Velveteen Rabbit came out, and he was like, "Dude, this Pony record is like for me." And I was like, "No, it's for me." <laughs> <laughs> it's that's so special. Like, I love, I I just love hearing that people like love the record or that like. Or even just a song off the record, it it truly like makes it so worth it, and I'm so excited to play those shows with with Provide and Me Steady Hands is going to be so cool. Um, let's talk about the Velveteen Rabbit because I know that that was a big influence. The Velveteen Rabbit's a children's story from the early 20th century. Yes. I have a Winnie the Pooh <laughs> tattoo, so I can very much relate to the like what you're holding on to but how how did that story come into your world and well you know i had actually never i'd never heard it before um before like maybe a couple years ago and i famously i don't know famously but uh for my entire life have been just like bad at sleeping mm-hmm. i struggle to sleep well and i was listening to podcasts they were specifically designed to be like super boring. So they put you to sleep or not boring, but like soothing, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I listened to this Velveteen Rabbit one. I picked it out because it was like 30 minutes and I was like, it's not part one or part two. I'd like, 
very picky. So I was like, I don't want to listen to something that's going to leave me hanging. Mm -hmm. I want a full story. Um, And I listened to it like every day, every night for like months and months and months. And like every night I would stay up like a little bit later and like hear more of the story. And I just truly became obsessed with it. And I was just so confused about the story in many ways because I thought for a long time that the story was about, you know, this rabbit, this plush rabbit who wants to be like self-actualized and is obsessed with like being real. And he finds out that like what makes you real is when you like love and accept love from someone else. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so beautiful. And then he like thinks he's real because he's loved by this little boy. And then he meets like these rabbits in the woods and they're like making fun of him because he's not real and he can't jump. And it like crushed me. Mm. And I was like, I was like sobbing in the night and I was like, this is the saddest shit I've ever heard. Like, why do people read this to kids? (laughs) Like, this is so horrific. These bunnies are like telling this velveteen rabbit that he's not real because he can't jump and he's not real because he's can't do any of the things they can do and i like really saw myself in the velveteen rabbit because i was like it is impossible especially in this industry to not constantly be comparing yourself to others Mm -hmm. and so it's just like the velveteen rabbit really consumed me yeah um for for many months and i just saw so much of myself in the story and then you know I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but the, the little boy, he gets sick and then all of his toys need to be burned in a fire no. and they're going to burn the Velveteen Rabbit. And the, and he's like, he's at this point, he's like, what the heck is going on? Like, what did I do to deserve this? And as he's about to become a little pile of ashes, he cries a tear, I suppose. Mm. And out of that tear comes a fairy and the fairy turns him into an actual real rabbit. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, like I was like, wait, what? Like, what does this mean then for the story? Because I thought the whole point of the story was like, you don't need to be quote unquote real yeah. to be real. But then of course you do in some regard. So it confused me and it left me with a lot of questions and it consumed me. And I have come to terms with the story now and I I have come to terms with my interpretation of it which is that you know like to be real and to be self-actualized you have to give of yourself to others and also accept love and and accept yourself and your flaws for for what they are and I don't care about the fairy I'm not you don't need she's that not part, part of this of it. yeah yeah we don't need that part it's like the end of Breakfast Club. I always, I, I always had a problem with um, Ali Sheedy when she does a makeover. Gets a makeover. Yeah, I'm like, what? absolutely, that's stupid. Why did we do that? But she was, she was perfect just the way she was. Exactly, exactly. And Amelia, I thought, it, yeah, like it would have been so much more powerful had Emilio like been like, like yes, like I, I think you're cool just the way you are with your dandruff and weird pimento loaf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the way you pour pixie sticks on your sandwich. Yeah, I like that about you. Um, the album is out. Take this to heart records. They've been good to you. Oh, we love them. 
that's good. We love them. And uh, a Pretty Maddie record will have just dropped by the time this podcast comes out. It's And it's really good. Yeah, it is really good. I like that y'all just like decided to make your best records and put them out within a couple weeks of each other. Yeah, the Pretty Maddie record is we 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 made it a longer time ago, but it's it every time I listen to it, I find things about it that I just like love and love and love. It's just it kicks Maddie ass. is like such an incredible songwriter, like one of my favorite songwriters, and I'm I'm so blessed that I get to make music with them. We should get them on the podcast too. I think that would be a good idea. Yeah, you should get them on the podcast. Yeah. Dude, thanks so much for for coming on. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. I'm I'm um, just thrilled to talk to you and just chat. It's been so lovely. You're the best. Thanks. 